0: Overnight with Daryl Morris on Talk
1: Radio. Let's get straight to Latin America then, shall we? And, um, and have a look at what's going on over that part of the world. We'd like to do that regularly with our man, John Bonfiglio. John, hi, morning buddy.
0: Good evening, Daryl. How are
1: you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I'm, um, I- I'm good, but I think we kind of watch with intrigue uh, a political system over here that is certainly strained uh, political systems in your part of the world, um, John, that are, are really coming up against it.
0: Yeah, they really are. I mean, Latin America is no stranger to to conflict and to civil strife and people on the streets and, uh, I guess, a kind of polarized um, society, which can basically, I guess, kind of be summed up between a standard left-wing view of the world in which, you know, the state and uh, national resources are to be shared around, divvied up, and then a kind of, I guess, a neoliberal Capitalist view of the world, in which resources are there to be used, and um, and the general view is that there should there is a kind of I guess um, a divestment of those uh, for, for competition, and the view that that being the best way to um, to move those forward. But certainly over the course of the last couple of months, even by Latin American standards, everything that's that uh, that's kicking off, that has been kicking off, and continues to domino effect its way across the continent is is pretty. Uh, pretty remarkable and unprecedented. Can we start with, um, with Bolivia? Uh, which is,
1: um, a really fascinating case, isn't it? We've kind of been following this a little bit, uh, with, um, with, with half an eye, I, I guess, over the last couple of months. Um, but essentially, just in, in essential terms, the, the, the democr- uh, democratically elected president of the country replaced with a lawyer. Is that, is that fair to say?
0: yeah i mean yes it's 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 a little bit more complex than that and obviously depends a little bit on how you on how you look at it so the democratically elected president had already overextended his welcome by changing the constitution by kind of forcibly changing the constitution and then um it's difficult to uh, to say that he didn't doctor the the the, the first round of elections because in in whatever way shape or form he he managed to do that he he really did even if even if it was by a few decimal percentage points so of course his supporters would say he was absolutely the democratically elected president of Bolivia and then his detractors would say hold on a minute there's a lot of abuses of power lined up there long and short of it he's in exile he's out of the he's out of the equation and he's causing you know, trouble or enhancing freedom from abroad, again, whichever way you want to look at it. And then, in a in a local context now, what you what you've got is an evangelical Christian that, again, uh, you know, her supporters would say, well, she's taken the reins of power because of because she she had to, but her detractors would say, but she didn't even have a popular mandate. Um, she wasn 't voted in, um, and she 's been supported by by the military and has essentially given them de facto license to kill i mean there 's no other way to say that really on, on the streets there 's been two massacres of indigenous groups over the course of the last ten days, uh, and she is now ruling by the rifle and the bible and the crucifix so I think less of an issue is the fact that she 's a lawyer than that she 's coming at it from the completely other end of the uh, of the political spectrum and uh, and the hope is that she will call elections because she's only an interim president. But the worry, the deep, deep worry, is that she cites some kind of civil strife, civil turmoil, says that because of the the situation on the street that she can't she can't do this, she can't call elections, and she maintains an unsteady, violent hold on power. Right. Okay. How likely are those
1: elections to happen? I mean, I think a bill's been signed, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, if we go by what's being said, the elections are fairly likely. If we go by the history of Latin American interim presidents, that election is not likely at all.
1: Right, okay, Uh, well we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, uh, Elsewhere, um, shall we come to Colombia? Because um, protests again that we've been following over there uh, uh, came to a pretty uh, tragic uh, conclusion. I think it was Dylan Cruz, wasn't it, the the, the teenager that was injured by police, uh, has now died. Is that right, John?
0: He has died. Yep, he was he was uh, basically shot in the head. Whether it was a rubber bullet or a stun grenade, uh, it's unclear exactly what it was that he was he was hit in the head with. But he was on the on the day after he died. He was due to graduate from from university. I mean, the only good thing about this is that he, his is the only death so far in the in the Colombian demonstrations. What's really fascinating about the Colombian demonstrations is Colombia is about the fifth country after uh, after Ecuador. Uh, bolivia Chile um and a couple of others to to actually have these these mass demonstrations and the the um, the president the government saw it coming they knew that it was being lined up they they saw it coming on the horizon, they shut down the borders, they said they had curfews they sent riot police out into the streets uh, ahead of time to try and curtail it and the other interesting thing about the way that they've dealt with it is that Say in a in a Chilean context where Piñera, um, for example, uh, for example, has not said anything remotely positive about the the injuries on the street. Far from it, he's he's called for the for the military to go back on the street and quell um, and repress the the protests. Duque has gone completely the other end of the spectrum and has actually has been very apologetic. Um, about the death of Dylan Cruz, um, he's speaking very quietly. He clearly knows that if he doesn't play his cards right, this is going to get massively out of hand. So he's being he's being very amelioratory about the whole situation in the hope that that it that it goes away. But tomorrow is now the sixth day of these mass protests. Hundreds of thousands of people on the streets. And the fundamental reasons why they're there are not being dealt with, and um, and they're not going away anytime soon. Spoke to quite a few people in in Colombia and Bogota, especially over the course of today, the and they just are continuing to organise to demonstrate tomorrow, and they're in it for the long haul. Mm. I think is, is is it possible,
1: John, as well, that they've got an eye on North on um, uh, Hong Kong as well, and Carrie Lam's reaction to protests in that part of the world. Uh, and Carrie Lam, probably, I think it's probably fair to say, being an example of how not to govern protests.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the Hong Kong example is is fascinating, and and to some extent her hands are tied as well because she's got like, like she's not really she's in control, but she's not really in control. But I think in the globalised world in which we in which we live, for sure, all of these news stories uh, carry from country to country, and there's no way that this domino effect of protests that that is um it's taking place right across latin america although they have some similarities there are obviously local differences but they are all watching what took place before and without a shadow of a doubt the hong kong situation absolutely has set a precedent for what is achievable by ongoing mass civil disobedience. Uh, um,
1: can we come to Uruguay as well? There seems um, a, 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 I'm probably right in thinking a little bit more, a little bit calmer in terms of the political landscape, but an election nonetheless.
0: Yeah, and um, and, and Uruguay actually, if we cross-reference again to, um, to Bolivia and what took place there after the first round of a very close election, where you know both sides declared victory and essentially is. Cause a massive schism in society. Uh, there's less than a percentage point that has that is separates the two um, the two potential presidential candidates, and their rhetoric could not be more different to what took place in Bolivia. So they're both saying, "Look, um, you know, whichever way this ends up coming out, and whoever's president." Um, essentially, it's uh, the public is split and therefore we need to work together. Uruguay is, is obviously a Latin American country, a small Latin American country in the southeast of the continent, largely islanded between the massive partner of Brazil to the north and Argentina to, to the south, but for a long time now has been, uh, kind of a, a bastion of, of progressive politics, it was the first country to legalize marijuana in, in 2013, oh. uh, same-sex marriage. Mm. Um, abortion rights for for women and the like. So in in many ways it's been at, at the at the left, uh the leftist liberal end of the of the spectrum in contrast to many of the other um largely Catholic ruled uh countries. Um but th- yeah, the election took place on Sunday and it does look as though there is a there is a change of power. The right wing, almost kind of John F. Kennedy esque candidate who comes from a political family and he's handsome and he's in his early 40s has a has a beautiful wife it seems as though he's going he's going to win out and is the first um rightish center president uh in in a 15 year period also worth saying however that even though he is of the right Uruguayan politics is basically center left like you you could argue in many contempt, you know many modern democracies whether you've got a left wing or a right wing um government in place that largely there's been a rightward drift whereas Uruguay actually is a is, an, is, a, is, a, is a different case study, and, and the politics of Uruguay have continually shifted towards the centre-left over the course of the last the last 20, or 30 years. Right, and so um, a
1: percentage point between them. What was the, the process now begins, I suppose, in terms of declaring who a winner is? Uh, that's gone to court, hasn't it? How's that playing out?
0: Yeah, so we're down to the last, I think, 4% of ballots to be counted, and then probably what's going to happen is there's going to be a recount, of certain ballots. At this point, I don't see there being anybody, you know, declaring illegality or, or tampering with, with a vote system. I think it's just going to be very, very close, and it is a mature, uh, settled democracy. So I think they're just going to go through the process, work out who's actually won, and then uh, I don't see anything bar, barring a um, barring a calm handing over of power if that's what ends up happening uh, between between the two parties. The the difference currently
1: I'm reading here is apparently 26,666 votes, as it stands.
0: (laughs) Yeah, tiny, absolutely. I mean, Uruguay's not a a big country anyway. Like, it's a really small country. It's based around, its economy is based around uh, farming and tourism. It's actually one of the real big success stories of the last 20 years in in a Latin America and then Latin American situation, ongoing growth since uh, since the financial crash of 2002, which wasn't really its fault anyway. It's largely due to do with the Argentine problem, economic problems to the south, which uh, which caused that. And ever since then, it's tried to extricate itself from its dependency on uh, on Brazil and um, and Argentina. But it's certainly as, as about as as unified um, and mature democracy as you would get in in, in Latin America as, as things stand.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, what, what, what's, what's the
1: turnout in, in Uruguay? What kind of numbers? Do you know? Off um, the top your head?
0: The, 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 yeah, the turnout is pretty high. I mean, ordinarily, I don't know specifically for, for this election, but the turnout, but, um, ordinarily would be in your kind of high sixties, um, percentage points. I mean, people are, are pretty invested in, In these political processes, everybody kind of knows somebody who is part of the process, so it's it's almost like I I guess I mean this is going to be a terrible example, but imagine that you know you had an election in Guernsey, say Uh, people tend to turn out because. You know, there's a cousin or an uncle or a granddad that's involved, so right. you get out and you do, you do your thing, otherwise Christmas is going to be a nightmare.
1: <laughs> Very good, I like that. Um, all right, so just taking me protest for a minute, there's another couple of stories I want to move on to as well, John, but just sticking to protest at the minute, uh, because the uh, global protest against uh, violence against women um, have been uh, pretty stark these last couple of days. This has grown out of places like Mexico, hasn't it?
0: it has it is definitely an international um day for the elimination elimination of violence against women so france had very marked uh very marked protest as well it's not exclusive to Latin America but i think for sure um, Mexico in particular over the course of the last year has been at the spearhead of these of these demonstrations the green bandana demonstrations the kind of pro abortion the purple bandana the um, not one more uh, women to be women to be killed demonstration the glitter protests of about 6 months ago and there's this kind of new wave of a new generation of of young women predominantly in Mexico City but really right across Mexico that are saying this is not how things should be we cannot be losing our sisters at a rate of 10 a day it can't be right that one in every two women in a relationship suffers some kind of um, interracial uh, interrelationship abuse in, in that context and they're turning out to the streets and they're making their their voices heard. And what's become a really interesting point of tension recently is that in the first few protests to take place, there was some vandalism, um, imposed on, on certain monuments, certain famous monuments in, in Mexico. And the general reaction against that was to say, "Uh, look, can you go out and protest, but can you not damage property? But that's then become a major flashpoint because those, that property, those, um, you know particularly kind of uh, statues, buildings, phallic symbols, if you like, have be- uh, have begun to be seen as being more important than the actual death of women, so now a lot of these demonstrators are actually deliberately going to deface these symbols of what they would regard to be um, to be the patriarchy uh, and this again, these protests are very specific they 're largely about uh, violence against women but also women 's reproductive rights and everything else that um, that that involves and mm. And I think this this kind of this uh, civil advancement of women 's rights for sure is is the spearhead of change across latin america and i don 't see it um, see it going away anytime soon also interesting to say I think that how Mexico City has dealt with these demonstrations is very different to how the provinces have so in in Mexico City in general, they prepared for these this new wave of demonstrations that took place uh, just yesterday, and whilst they were generally protective of uh, the women and property, they didn't get involved, they didn't repress, they weren't violent, whereas in the provinces it's still very much been about, look at these crazy people, these crazy women coming out onto the streets, we need to stop them from, uh, from impacting damage on on our heritage, on our buildings, and and so on, which just plays into the ongoing fr- conflict of these demonstrations where the women say, hold on a minute, if, you, if you're really taking this seriously, you should actually be dealing with the root cause of why we're demonstrating, not the fact that somebody's graffitied something onto an old wall. Right, yeah, blimey. Does, does Mexico then have a disproportionate problem with, with violence against women? Um, I think the, the statistics are fairly horrific for sure here. Equally, I think that's also because, you know, it's a standard um, development of, of rape cases internationally over the course of the last 20 years is numbers have increased exponentially. But is that because... Rape and violence against women has increased, or is that just because there's better measures of it and people are more comfortable with, with coming forward? I think Latin America has a general problem with it. Uh, I would actually say it's, a, it's an international problem. I've got a friend in in Glasgow, you know, who who supports Rangers, and and he always tells me about the stats of, of what happens mm. uh, to women when, when Rangers lose or mm. so when Celtic lose or whatever it might be. So I think the, the, the there's there's two issues I would say here. There's there's the the impunity of violence against women in a social context on the streets and then there's what happens behind closed doors. I think the world has a problem with it Latin America has a very peaked problem with it but um, is it culturally something which is only just coming to light and being frowned upon? I think uh, we are definitely at the beginning of um, of these these actions and these, these cultural changes which are, which are being voiced on the streets of Mexico and Latin America right now.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: Um, there's a story out of Argentina
1: as well, John, that's really interesting. A court has sentenced two Roman Catholic priests to more than 40 years in prison for sexually abusing uh, deaf children at church school. What more can you tell us about this?
0: Yeah, I, I wish it was an isolated case. I wish I could say to you, you know, this is some rogue priests and this is the only time that it's It's happened, but unfortunately, this continues the Catholic Church's um, culture—not just of uh, allowing these things to happen, but turning a blind eye um, and valuing the uh, the importance of Catholicism and the priests within a brotherhood more than uh, than the victims. This is definitely not a new story. It's uh, the you know the 767th example of. How the Catholic Church has institutionally behaved uh, over a period of time, and uh, it, it, of course it's particularly marked in Latin America because Latin America is a predominantly Catholic uh, continent where the Catholic Church still hold, absolutely holds um, holds force. I mean, just going back to the conversations we were just having just now about the feminist demonstrations, for sure, one of the major voices anti those demonstrations is the voice of the catholic church i mean these these women who then go into church on a sunday are going to be here are going to hear about the wrath of god coming down on them and what they should not be should not be doing and and it, even though that that power perhaps is fracturing a little bit the power and control that the catholic church evidences on um on civil society right across Latin America is very, very palpable.
1: Yeah, quite blimey. Um, alright, listen, we, we, we run out of time, John, but I really wanted to talk to you about Havana. Um, because, uh, this so, so, I think was it was, is it 500 years, I think it is, of, of, um, of its, since its foundation that was celebrated last week?
0: Yep, yep, uh, we're around ra- we're round about the time when, um, I mean, it's like the Columbus Day, you know, the renaming of all these these things. But uh, obviously 1492 was when the first arrivals took place. But then over the course of the Caribbean, you know, as people increasingly came over, there's then the kind of 500-year celebrations which have been happening now for the last 20, 25 years and will continue to take place depending on where you are in in Latin America for the next 20, 30, um, 30, 40 years. And where 50 years ago even there would have been a general celebration of civilization uh, spanish european civilization landing in um in the uncivilized americas now there's definitely a different questioning of what these of what these things mean um and a divesting of of that standard narrative and a questioning relating to the i mean basically the genocide that was visited down on the peoples here whether that was due to direct violence in terms of death at the end of a sword or a spear or trampled under a horse or mm. uh, the millions of people that died due to the disease that was brought over by the european visitors um, as you say 500 years ago
1: mm. and i suppose there's, there's quite a lot about identity wraps up in this as well isn't there
0: yeah totally and it's and, and depending on where you are in in latin america it's completely mixed up so going back to the uruguayan example so um, the guy who's who's just uh, looks likely to um, to win the election there, uh, Luis Lacalle. Uh, he is definitely of you know he's tall, he's skinny, he's white, he's of the political class. But in brackets, you could say he's from a wealthy Spanish family that's always had power and control. You know he he undoubtedly be able to trace his roots back um, a few hundred years to when uh, to when the Spanish arrived. And then you've got a lot of mixing mestizo in between, and then it goes right down to to what people here would call the the indios the the indigenous uh communities, and in some contexts as well the afro the afro-caribbeans as well and certainly in a in uh, in cuba there's there's a lot of that there's a lot of the, the afro-caribbean mm. community um and and the, the physicality of, of those individuals is very different to what what it would be say in chile or in western mexico sure
1: uh, also just to mention for havana the capital of cuba isn't it which is absolutely stunning place isn't it really beautiful i can i haven't been by the way so i'm only saying i'm saying sort of what i've seen but there's some really really beautiful architecture isn't
0: there yeah absolutely i mean one of the things that one of the things that the spanish did bring over was absolutely stunning architecture and anywhere which is you know in advance of 200, 300 years old. I mean, I'm speaking to you now from the centre of, of Campeche in southeast uh, Mexico, and it's a UNESCO World Heritage site. It's the only walled city in, in Mexico, and the architecture is exactly the same, as it is in in, in Havana. And in fact, when I, when I first came here, visiting 20 years ago, it, there was absolutely no economy here. There was no, you wouldn't see it, somebody on the streets after midday. And I often describe it as being more. Havana-ish than Havana is than uh-huh. Havana is now. Uh, the Spanish uh, colonial architecture is absolutely, uh, uh, for sure, one of the wonders of the world. Um, what's the what's the, the 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 sort of
1: reasoning and the logic behind the painted buildings? Because each each building seems to be painted a different colour.
0: They, they are, and actually, as you speak, I'm I'm on one of these streets now with with these these buildings all painted a different uh, colour. There's if I can paint a picture there's there's almost a sort of victorian lights sticking outside of them dusk has just just come down mm, um and th- there's a vibrancy and color to life in latin america uh which is always which has always been the case and um and certainly sort of stands out and and has always stood out it's not relevant to a particular cultural trope um it's just what what was always the case and and for sure when you first come over someone like this it may seem garish or or over the top but it's just a uh, a really standard, beautiful evincing of um, of the exterior of, of of buildings, and actually, you know, a lot of people would say, like, somebody who walked through Birmingham, say, say, somebody from Mexico. Um, would walk through Birmingham and they'd say, why is everything so grey? And for them it would be equally strange, but just in reverse.
1: Yeah, quite, yeah. Well, it's beautiful. It's like Balamore. It's gorgeous. Um, John, thank you so much for for being with us this morning. Lots to get our teeth into there. Uh, So thank you very much for all your insights as ever. Appreciate it, John. Good man.